0: Hey everybody out there. Welcome to an attorney and accountant. Walk into a bar. I'm John, I'm the attorney, and my buddy here. I'm Kent and I'm the accountant. All right, Kent, what are we talking about today?
1: Well today, John, we're gonna talk about tax and legal strategies for high net worth family groups and businesses. One of my favorite topics, outstanding. Let's get into it.
0: Yeah, well, before we get into this fascinating subject of high net worth individuals and tax avoidance strategies, I am drinking a straight bourbon whiskey known as Walcott. I think it's extremely lovely. It it reminds me almost of drinking brown sugar or almost like a cola. Extremely smooth. It's unbelievable the proof that this thing is. And it's like not even like drinking alcohol at all. One of my personal favorites and a great price point.
1: Mm, Wow. Um, I haven't had much of that, but I hear good things and you, you clearly love it. Uh, tonight I'm actually going off the reservation. I got Hirodora Legend, which is actually a tequila. It's got, a, but it's got an absolute smokiness to it, artificial or not. It is very smooth, very tasty. A lot of sweet notes and caramel. It's just, and even looks like a whiskey. Sounds great. Yeah. You know, our client base and a lot of our interactions during the week, during the work week, we're fortunate enough to work with a lot of entrepreneurs and. Uh, those folks, when their businesses are successful, end up being high net worth individuals, and those individuals build high net worth family groups and those types of folks have very interesting um, well they have very in- interesting ideas on how they want to preserve their wealth for generations to come and because they have a certain level of wealth where uh, they they need to do tax planning that is above the call it a uh, state tax exemption threshold, right? For the individual now, we'll call it roughly or roughly around twelve, eleven to twelve million per person. So, uh, technically, you'd have to have over twenty-two to twenty-three million in this case. It's been edging up just a little bit in each year.
0: So, so what's that mean? You know, you get twelve million. What what does that mean? I mean, you get twelve million dollars. What if you have a, a state that's twelve million, you get taxed, or what's the tax? How does that play? Mm-hmm.
1: You know the old adage there's nothing more certain than death and taxes. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That, that last one, nobody thinks about. Because on top of income tax, property tax, sales tax uh, that people have during their lifetime, capital gains tax, which is a big thing that we help a lot of clients with uh, with deferring, there's the estate tax. So when you're state is above a certain threshold. Like back in the day, it was only a million bucks. Can you imagine that today in California, having a million-dollar threshold that anything above it would be taxed at what's essentially 40%?
0: Anybody that owns a house.
1: That's right. And we are in a place where it will sunset, and by... 2026 20, or so if if nothing is done uh, that cap is is looking to go down and that really will affect folks that are in such high real estate value areas because it does include the fair market value of the current piece of real estate so d- don't think it's just sitting cash you're like oh, i don't have 12 million in cash i'm, I'm okay so, so what
0: are we talking about if you die and you get more than 12 and a half million dollars what What's the boog? What's the boogeyman? What happens?
1: The boogeyman is everything that is over that threshold. So you subtract that dollar amount. Everything all that over that threshold is subject to estate tax. Um, and that's and that, pretty high tax. And that's right? pretty high tax. Yeah, it's pretty. Awful. Yeah. So our goal in helping clients is to do appropriate tax planning and on your side legal structuring in order to avoid as much of that tax as possible because they've built that. Wealth over lifetimes. And it's not a one time shot. Don't think that, oh, well, I got it from grandpa. And so now that when I pass away, grandpa, we already paid the tax on grandpa's wealth. No, no, no. It continues to accumulate. And really, I
0: think the really, really big boogeyman here mm-hmm. that most people don't see is like, well, yeah, you know, if I got over $12.5 million, maybe I got $20 million, my kids are going to have to pay a big tax. So what? You know, they're getting more than they need, right? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do that? Well, it's more than that, right? Because this is the one I see in the legal side. You guys do the tax return. Somebody dies. They owe $5 million in taxes. It's all real estate. How are they going to pay that? Well, right. what are they going to do? They're going to have to sell something. And they're going to have to sell it now. Now, maybe they'll be really lucky, and that'll be on the upside of the market. Maybe they won't be so lucky, and times will be tough, and they end up having to sell that asset at a fire sale or for something much less than it's what it's worth. So the estate can be diminished far more than just the taxes. And you know, some cases they can end up with very little. So you might be thinking, well, you know, so what? The kids have to pay some taxes. It can actually have much deeper implications. In,
1: that. in from my perspective, it, it could well how I would phrase it would be sabotaging a uh, generational asset. So for example, if they built a, a business or have an investment that is cash flowing significantly, but it's illiquid, like real estate, right. uh, that the forcibility of sale in order to pay taxes because the illiquidity of the estate will cause huge ripple effects for the next generation. Because yes, there'll be a cash event, but they're, it's it's typical that they're not able to uh, repurchase that asset of, of the same quality. And uh, you know, a theory can be said that it, it, it churns assets. It's a way of, you know, call it redistributing wealth. But the concept of the person that's built that wealth is very frustrating when they spent a lifetime accumulating assets for the benefit of their heirs, um, and they work really hard and really diligent, and they may be forced to liquidate as a result of, of, of tax code.
0: And consider the worst case scenario, which I don't think a lot of people consider. It's like, do you always own these assets by yourself? Well, not most of the time. Mm -hmm. most of the time you have other partners right so you might have a business partner you might have other shareholders Mm -hmm. in the case of a piece of property you might have another tick interest or it might be an llc where you know there's another investor in there with you right well trust me if that other investor sees that you know little johnny now has the asset and he's Mm -hmm. got to pay some estate taxes and he's bent
1: over by uncle sam to do that he's going to buy that really cheap. So you're talking about liquidating fractional interests. Yes. So when you have fractional interests like that, that is so ripe for uh, the person that needs to liquidate to be in a detrimental position. At the same time, when we get into actual tax planning, valuing fractional interests is an area that is ripe for um, prudent tax planning. So like, you can go straight into one of those strategies, which is simply taking a look at business interests, uh, and using the legal powers to create and form uh, LLCs or partnerships or correct structures to hold those interests rather than just being in what you had mentioned before, just a tick interest, um, to organize it in a way where then you can value at a discount, right, using proper appraisals, of course, um, to value that fractional interest to essentially shrink estate think about putting your files in a zip file you know you take all these big files and you shrink it down a little bit it's almost like that you create a you create a compactness as a part of the appraisal so that you can fit more under in this case the 12 million dollar threshold right? right
0: so i mean but that that's that's a really good numbers way to look at it so i think the important question is now all right now I know that I'm going to be above that $12.5 million. Now I'm thinking about I don't want my kids to have to pay all that tax. I sure as hell don't want them to have to sell the asset to my uh, asshole business partner or his wife or their kids or whatever it is, right? What do I do about it? What do you do
1: about it? What, what would you do about it? The answer on a tax side is to create a liquidity event. Backup. Okay. What does that mean? otherwise sometimes known as a islet a lot of key factors that focus i can't uh, what's that stand for man ah it's a life insurance (laughs) trust irrevocable
0: life insurance trust right yes
1: so the idea behind that creates um whether people know or not uh the proceeds of a life proceeds of life insurance are are a non-taxable event but it is a to the beneficiary of that but it's could be includable in a state if it's set up wrong it goes like the beneficiary is the person that passed away you don't want to do that yeah. the way
0: so you're going to buy a life insurance policy right
1: to create a liquidity event that is has a pool okay. of cash outside of so the you estate you say this it's like used cpa to li-
0: stuff liquidity event <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to buy a life insurance policy and when you die the life insurance policy is going to pay somebody right yeah and you'd want it to be outside your estate so it doesn't get taxed right That's so right. how do you do that
1: you got to set up Irrevocable trust. That's
0: where I come in. That's
1: right. That's right. (laughs) Because I'll make you an
0: eyelet, which is an irrevocable life insurance trust. So we'll create an entity that's going to buy the life insurance that's going to be outside your estate, and that life insurance can be used to pay the estate tax Mm -hmm. or just for whatever.
1: Yeah. You know? Well, the whatever is the administrative fees of their very diligent accountant and attorney uh, to ensure that the estate is handled correctly. Well, I like the whatever. <laughs> it sometimes includes a boat.
0: Right, or an airplane.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've, okay. seen, I've seen that happen.
0: So that's one way, Yeah. revocable life insurance for us. Idle it. What about if you just give it away? So you, like, get your estate smaller, so that it gets under that 12 and a half million. What can you do? just like give it away? What would you do? Who'd you give it to?
1: So you can gift it. Well, you can gift it to anyone. Uh, one of the ways is creating it uh, to charity. If you're philanthropic, well, you know, charitable really remainder I trust. I
0: my estate to go to my children. Can't come on now. <laughs> can, I gift it, can I gift it to them?
1: You sure can. You sure can.
0: Well, that doesn't seem like a very good idea, right? Because if I gift it to my kids, they're just going to blow it. And I sure as hell don't want them to have it while I'm alive because they're going to screw it all up. So is there like some way I could give it to them but not really
1: give it to them? So if you put some structure on it, what would you recommend?
0: Ah, just a plain old irrevocable trust. So we can create a what's called a flexible irrevocable trust that you create and you appoint a trustee. And the trustee administers it during your lifetime per your instructions. And you mm-hmm. gift into that trust for the benefit of your children.
1: But doesn't an irrevocable trust mean that I can't control anything?
0: Uh, Yes, it did in the old days. But if you have a good lawyer, a clever lawyer, he makes it what's called a flexible irrevocable Mm. trust. What does that mean? A flexible irrevocable trust has a number of different qualities about it. There's really three main ones. The first one is that in addition to a trustee, which is an independent trustee that you're going to appoint, I don't know, it could be your father, it could be a brother, it might be your CPA, it can't be your lawyer, you're going to appoint someone to, like, own the asset, right? But, you know, he's sort of going to do what you say because he's your buddy, right? That's job one. It's like, well, you know, it's irrevocable, though, and you can't change it. Well, there's two other aspects we do to it. One is that we have a trust protector provision. So you point to either another person who can change the trust if you need to. So, wow, it's not so irrevocable anymore, right? You can Mm -hmm. change it. You can, you know, if you have another kid, you can put the other kid in there. if you may have a, one of the kids that maybe is being an a-hole and you want to cut him out, you can do that. You know, if you want to, Change the, the big place we usually use this is when there's changes in tax law, or there's changes mm-hmm. in estate planning laws that we can amend the trust to put provisions in there that will help with whatever the changes in the law are. So that's another place that a trust protector has a function. And the other play, thing that we do to make it flexible is it has decanting provisions.
1: Does that include wine?
0: Ah, That sounds like wine, doesn't it? (laughs) So what do you do when you decant wine? You take it from a bottle and you pour it into another container. Yeah, that's right. And that's essentially what you do. You take you create another container and you create another trust, which is a container. Mm -hmm. And you pour the assets of the irrevocable trust into the new trust. And, of course, the new trust has the new provisions in it that you want. So are you going to be able to, like, yank all the assets back and, you know... uh, do whatever you want. No, there's limitations on it. And and, and irrevocable trusts are really important things for people to think about and contemplate and how it's going to work because there are huge decisions. But you essentially are gifting things to your children in trust that you retain some control over, even though technically we're not really controlling it because the IRS doesn't want you to do that. But you do have some <laughs> strings attached to it, right, that you can pull it back or change it or make modifications to it, and that's the flexibility portions of it. So that's like the really important thing to understand about it.
1: You know, how about for folks that that seems complicated? But, you know, not everyone is in that multi-million dollar phases. I know we were talking about high net with family groups, but is there anything that's attainable for folks that it might be just shy of of of, of that? that threshold do you recommend trusts for people that are okay well,
0: well there's there's a lot of reasons to talk about trusts and i think that's a little bit beyond the scope of this mm-hmm. particular podcast but you know a trust in general you know just your channel what you guys accountants like to call grantor trusts mm-hmm. we just call them standard revocable trusts which everybody has right i mean not everybody but most people have if you go to the grocery store and you see grandpa in front of you and he's writing out a check and it says you know uh sam smith trustee of the sam smith trust that's probably just a grantor trust sure. and the reason for that trust is to avoid probate which is a whole nother conversation true it's to admit, it has to do with estate planning it has to do with administering your assets if you become incapacitated when you die and all that it's a different conversation but that's kind of the fundamental the the irrevocable trust is one level beyond that. And that's a structure that you create to gift assets to. And I think the big bugaboo that people have about doing that, right. Is well, you know, I've got $30 million and Mm -hmm. I've got a lifetime exemption of 12 and a half. Sure. So I'm going to gift 12 and a half million dollars to it. And we're going to do all kinds of cool things for you. Like we're going to, adjust the basis and we're gonna get an appraisal and we're sure. gonna make those assets look like less than what they're really worth and we're gonna write up a letter of appraisal to the IRS to get that, you know, really cool. Well, let's look at what else that does for you. Well it takes it out of your estate, right? Sure. So now you don't pay tax. Te- your your Arizona to pay income tax on it, right? Or estate tax. What else can you do with that? Well, gosh, you know, I wanted to use that money. I don't want to give it to my kids now. Mm-hmm. How can I use that money? Well, you can borrow it. Sure can. And guess what? When you borrow it, when you borrow that money from
1: the trust... It's an encumbrance on the estate.
0: It's not income. Yeah. And it makes your trust, your estate even smaller. This is how rich people don't pay taxes.
1: You know, when, when wealthy are thinking about this, there's always a component, and we deal with this with a certain pool of clients, that no matter how much they gift, and they gift the max, there's still a taxable there's still an amount that's above the taxable threshold uh, for their estate. You know, what plans or advice do you give from a legal structuring standpoint to uh, to help mitigate that? Because they may have some years left. It's not like they're at the end of the rope.
0: Well, I mean, the big one that I just talked about, you mm-hmm. borrow money against some money you gifted, you borrow money against it. <clears throat> when you borrow money, it's a liability. It reduces your estate. You don't pay income taxes on it. You know, you you hear this. I mean, you see podcasts on this all the time. This is out there on YouTube a lot. It's like, why don't the rich pay taxes? You know, how is it Elon Musk doesn't pay income taxes? Well, because he has all these assets, and instead of, like, liquidating them to go buy something, he borrows against it.
1: Well, there's (laughs) there's a nuance on there because it's the type and categorization of taxes. We just mentioned that there was income tax, you know, sales tax, capital gains tax, estate tax, capital gains right, long-term capital gains rates very very, uh, very heavily from what the income tax rate is. And so not only is it about putting assets in an irrevocable trust, about what assets on a taxable estate should you actually put in. Because the assets of qualify don't fit. Potentially, they are assets, maybe qualified small business stock under Section 1202, where you can get, you can take advantage of the differing rates for long-term capital gains. So as you know, or if you don't know, when someone passes, someone gets a step up in basis for, for someone that passes. So what happens is, from a capital gains perspective, if uh, this the biggest analogy was with stock, let's say grandpa left you Coca-Cola stock, he bought it five bucks, you know, and it might be trading at 100. At the date of inheritance, you receive it at a basis of 100, because it gets a step up in basis. And then if you sell it death day in one day, there's no capital gains as a result of that inheritance. Now, that does that mitigate the estate component of it? No, but it takes a nice bite out of what could have been a large capital gains.
0: Well, I'll take your word for that, Kent, because just melted my brain, which is why you need to hire a really competent tax professional <laughs> if you're in this kind of bracket so they can figure all this yeah. crazy stuff out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Because even I don't follow you sometimes. Well, let's let's talk about charitable
1: giving. Let's say you say you say you like a church or, or a cause that is um, a, a public charity or a foundation. Um, there are distinctions there because 501c3s which are the categorization for public charities and then you have section 170 that talks about donating, you know, your assets to qualified charities and organizations. You you see a lot of very wealthy individuals create foundations. Right, um, Gates well, Foundation. Foundations are
0: wonderful, wonderful tools for mm-hmm. doing that. If you're inclined, that's true. To be charitable. I mean, you don't. These aren't. It's not a joke, right? So correct. You do have some kind of cause that you want to promote if you do these things. So if you're just about building wealth, building wealth, building wealth, building wealth, and you want more and more and more and more, and you want to pass a billion-dollar empire on to your, your children, eh, it's not probably the best way to do it, right? But if you are inclined to be charitable, Mm -hmm. this is a tremendous tool for reducing estate taxes and getting things out of your estate, but still retaining control over them because the foundation is your foundation, right? And you still have control over how those assets are spent.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, you mentioned the beginning, I always, it starts with tax, but as an accountant, I always actually advise clients, you must be solid in the legal structure, irrevocable trusts, and the things that you wanna set up, and that drives the planning. From there, we look at how to optimize it for tax planning. We don't start with this beautiful tax plan without proper structures in place. And so I think the attorney and the accountant gotta to come together to kind of have those two have a, have a perfect balance.
0: Really, really important, I think, if you are uh, considering this kind of planning, is you want to have an attorney and a CPA whether it be a firm if you're big enough that you you have a big eight firm working for you something like that they're working mm-hmm. closely together have good synergies are talking to each other and you don't end up being a ping-pong ball between the two of them
1: yeah let's talk about where someone dies what state that can have a huge impact on on the the uh, the state tax exactly. especially and at federal and state level well you know we live in a in one of the, probably the worst states to pass away in.
0: (laughs) Everything's bad in California when it comes to taxes, right?
1: (laughs) But for high net worth families- Or New uh, York, I'm sure. High net worth families, you can look at different states, um, uh, call it anywhere in between, California and behind New York. <laughs> there's a few there are few pockets in there that are, are not tremendous for this. But there's credits, exemptions, there's state tax incentives. For example, California doesn't do uh, a matching for 529 plans or a deduction for contributions to 529 plans when other states do. right? There's smaller things that aren't in the realm of the millions and billions that people can do over their lifetime that can help them um, save for the next generation that is dependent solely on where they live, the state and the jurisdiction that they live in.
0: So when you say where you die, right, it's like if I live in California and I want to take advantage of say Nevada, and I feel like, oh, you know, I'm on my last couple of weeks, and I'm dying of cancer. Can I run over to Nevada and die in Nevada? Or Are you talking about like actually being? I'm
1: talking about. In I'm talking about domicile and residency. It does take a bit of planning, right. quite a bit of planning. And I we always talk. clients. you have that, to want to live
0: there too, some somehow or
1: another. It's it's a lot of beautiful country between California between the coasts. Yes, there you, I I tell you that. And we always make that, this, uh, this joke or this saying that the difference between tax evasion and tax planning is when you talk to your accountant. Timing. Yeah, that's right. So it's all about timing. Um, so if there's forethought and then planning involved, right, and you create uh, a true reason for finding a passion for what else is out there in the, in the great Midwest, then, then you can avail yourself of some really awesome tax planning. Awesome. Yeah, and you know it's it's also about timing of deductions too. So uh, one of the things that we talk to clients about uh, is about revenue recognition and the timing of, of of taking certain income and taking certain expenses. So let's say you talk about dividends and when things uh, when things are going to occur for your business. So like you're going to create a business sale. Like you, a lot of things for high net worth transactions, they create a liquidity event is the sale of a a long-term family business. It is it, it is not always prudent to take that one big check right off the bat. You
0: know, right? this this brings up a really, really important point. I cannot tell you, and I'm sure well I can tell you, but I can't tell our audience how important it is to start engaging a lawyer and an accountant long before you think about selling your business. Mm-hmm. How many times can have we had people come to us and say well, my, the sale of my business is imminent. it's happening next month, it's happening in six months, I'm gonna get $10 million, how do I not pay capital gains? And it's like, well, buddy, yeah, it's too frickin' light. <laughs> and if you'd had this conversation with us a year ago, we could have avoided most of that.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's really about that strategic planning and timing, of course. So to avail yourself of QSBS, even if they weren't in that position um, at the outset, that can be converted. With time, with planning, with forethought, with that conversation with the accountant and your attorney, because maybe even at the time of sale, it becomes an installment sale. Right. There's and so that, many things you that get you that can do, spread. and
0: then but but if you do it, if you come to us when after the deal's done, yeah, yeah, then yeah, and it's, and it's kind of funny. They're always talking. Well, oh, I I could do this, and I could do that. And what, what about a what about a, a trust in you know Nevada, and I can hide the money. It's like yeah, bud, you go do that. And you get caught,
1: and you're in to jail. Is, is the saying a penny wise and a dollar foolish? Because the- I think it's a pound. A pound it's a foolish. Yeah it's a, yeah, it's a British thing. But we're, we're, here, we're here in the good old US of A. So a penny wise and a dollar foolish. There you go. Okay. Um, in this sense, back to another topic we had in another podcast was finding the right professional. Right. And if you find the right person, you find the right person, and you have that conversation, the hourly rate for that one- to two-hour conversation, for somebody that needs this type of planning and engages with um, this type of information can save them, quite literally, a lifetime of wealth and can preserve wealth for multiple generations as a result of taking this advice and then taking action upon it be- before it becomes critical. So I-, I can't tell you how many times that I've had a client that says, well, my mom's on the deathbed. What are we going to do about the trusts? <laughs> A um, little late. A little late. Nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Um, there was even a client that uh, that almost went delinquent on their payments to their life insurance trust. Oh, my God. Um, because they forgot uh, to make some certain payments. And uh, the
0: life insurance companies love to, yeah. to not have to pay, aren't they?
1: Oh, they love it. They're waiting for one missed payment. And so luckily they engaged with an accountant li- like us that we picked it up and we were we were we usually see a reoccurring payment that went out there, and we didn't and some were starting to be missed and because the maybe the the payment documentation got changed, but while the uh, client was in hospice, we got and still still alive, we got the payments um, up to speed, and we got confirmation they got up to speed and within <laughs> within forty eight hours, the client passed the client's mother passed and so we had an instated insurance. We'll call that as close as I'd like to cut it in the nick of time. And that provided a significant liquidity event for uh, a state that was typically illiquid and held in real estate.
0: So when he says liquidity event, he means you get money.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like, uh, I, like <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep it erudite. But, well,
0: you know, that brings up a point that maybe, you know, we can kind of finish on here, too. It's like, and this is not a sales pitch, but one of the things people really seem to miss is and I, and I don't know how many times you and i've done this Can well someone comes to us they're having some sort of tax event in their life it's a capital gain it's something like this or that or the other thing and it's like well you know we're going to sell this property and we're going to get hit for a hundred thousand dollars in capital gains tax and we're like great that sucks we can do this for you we can create this entity we can create this structure we can do a 1031 exchange we can put you in a QO qualified economic opportunity zone there's all sorts of things we can do and really mitigate that tax and you're gonna get hit with a hundred thousand dollars in taxes And you know maybe we're gonna have to charge you five thousand dollars to do that Mm -hmm. and they're like well that's too much money like what what you're going to spend 5000 to save 100000 and you're like balking at the price? You know, Excuse me? I'm not suggesting that you have to pay my fees. But what I'm suggesting to people is look at what your
1: professional is going to save you and be willing to spend most of that. You, you know, I, I think when you have a direct comparison in terms of cost to savings, that's usually not a big hurdle. What... Where, where we find the, uh, the hesitation is where the planning has the potentiality of savings, and if people could live in a world of absolute certainty, we'd all make solid decisions in a heartbeat. So with no, that is that's is, true. Is but we've also
0: we've also seen them do it when we know we're gonna say no, that's and absolutely true. You know, no, that's we're just absolutely. like scratching our heads going, uh, why wouldn't you do that?
1: No, that's absolutely true.
0: And you don't have to spend the money with me, you can spend it with anybody, but for God's sakes, spend five thousand to save a hundred. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Man, that's I think we could talk for hours on this, but I think I'm at the bottom of my glass. Yeah, well. so Let's Let us find this the bottom up. of mine. There it is. <laughs> Cheers. Mm. Ah, it's Ah, gone. We'll save the derivation of this for next time. You know, I think uh, I think estates and trust and trust in general. Uh, I want to talk about uh, planning for, we'll call it the common man. You know, I think it would be important for folks that if you don't have millions, there's still things you should do. And you I know? think it's
0: important for people to understand that you and me are also in that category darn right
1: that's true (laughs) absolutely we don't have all these millions of dollars that our clients do Um, but we're fortunate enough to to be like a a fly in the wall to have a great understanding of it so anyway thanks for sharing this time with me john um you know attorney an accountant walk to a bar is always fun
0: and i strongly recommend this uh walcott whiskey it's amazing
1: <laughs> so, the odd listeners out there, thanks for joining us. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe, um, leave comments, send an email out to podcast at um, We really appreciate you guys listening. Join us next time for an attorney and accountant walk into a bar. Right on. All right. See you guys later. See you.